Welcome to the Armada Podcast with your hosts, Kalorn. I, I do think that she is going to be a negative player experience, but there's a difference between that and being overpowered. Fox Omega. I'll, I'm going to be really honest. I did not see this coming. I did not anticipate Onagers doing this well. And Armchair Jedi. Is whether or not brunch is the best meal. And the answer is no. It's not the best meal. What? And now, the Armada Podcast. Hello and welcome back. This week we have the Vassal World Cup champion, Unskilled First Officer, and you, uh, Nick, it was second place finish at Worlds, correct? Yes, it was. So not only did, did the man just completely wipe the floor out of my pod, I will say, both Nick and I were in the same pod in Vassal World Cup, he went to Worlds and cleaned up some house with uh, you know his uh, gar list that we will examine in more detail as we get through this. But it's great to have you on the show, Nick. Um, I, we really appreciate you coming on and saying hi. No, I'm excited to be here. Excellent. Well, Fox is going to get into our here I am official patented yeah official patented Armada podcast interview that you guys should all be familiar with now. But uh, we'll we'll get some good uh, answers from unskilled first officer, and we'll move on into the day. Here we go. Yeah, we have the mysterious unskilled first officer who turns out to be fairly skilled at the game. Um, so we need to dive deep into the psyche of an unskilled first officer and how someone who could be so unskilled could end up reaching the rank of first officer. So we have questions. Number one, Nick, how long have you been playing Star Wars Armada? I started playing back in 2018, I think. Um, it's it's all sort of fuzzies like the, before COVID times, but I think 2018, 2019, right, right around there. Um, so this is like the SSD range. I think that's around when when that was released. Does that sound right? Yes, yes. I I love that meta. That was a uh, some good times to be to be a new player for sure. <laughs> it's funny because yeah. like that's exactly when I started too, and it seems like there's a a whole crop of people that are kind of peaking in in skill from that era. Yeah, it's like five years is the is the moment for a lot of people. It's kind of cool. I'm a late well, bloomer. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone has their time. There's a season for everything. Um, unskilled. What would you say is your play style? No, I've always been a fan of big ships. Um, and like sort of getting back to when I started playing, like my first like real competitive archetype was like double ISD. And I flew that for first couple of years and in that double SSD made it, it was, it was a great pick. Um, less so these days, but you know, it's still running, smashing big triangles around is still, still a lot of fun. I'll There's some people back talking seriously about that, that meta coming back and now seeing more double ISD running around, which I think would be really hilarious. Well, everything goes in cycles. Especially with like double Venator becoming more and more of a thing. Um, I, I mean, pfft. Is it becoming not. a thing? Like we've, we've seen what, one or one or two show up. I mean, Reese did really, really well in Worlds. Got to top twenty six, and then which we'll talk about later. And then uh, that Lumi fleet, the double vent, double Pelta. It's doing fairly well. It's not the greatest, but I mean, it's making statements. 
Um, if you could give advice to the you starting the game four or five years ago, what would it be? Play more weird stuff. I think I, I'm, I'm competitive as a person. And so there's like, it was definitely like too much focus. I feel like at least in my beginning of like, I got to make this competitive. I got to make it good. And I didn't realize that's like the best players, like maybe they're not flying like the most net listed thing, but they're familiar with it. They're knowing with it. And it's usually not something like traditionally viewed as like super strong. Um, and so just getting very comfortable with something that isn't um, like the obvious top choice will have really good dividends for you down the road. Yeah. And then eventually that becomes the top choice, right? As we've seen with Bale, the commander. So, well, you know, it's a uh, got to see the change you want to be in the world. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. You got to, yeah. I got to be the change you want to see. Yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> so, Okay. Cool. Well, very, very good. Now we know everything there is to possibly know about you. Um, that is the whole point of the Armada po- official Armada podcast trademarked interview, if anyone didn't know that that was the purpose. So what what we've decided, there, there was we were going through all the data. Armchair, our, our in-house data expert, has been pouring over this data uh, since Worlds ended, basically. And uh, right, armchair. It's been twenty four seven. You've been around the clock, just knocking this out. Honestly, it's a miracle I haven't been fired yet. <laughs> and and fu- funny thing, I was talking about this with my boss. I'm like, oh yeah, I do this podcast. He's, oh, you're you're on podcast. What is it? So I told him about it. So he might be listening now. Oh, Hi, hey, hey, boss. Hey, armchair's boss. Um, <laughs> he does work. We swear. So um, <sighs> there's so much data and so many different data points to go through. We we like data we like kind of interpreting the the minutiae of the list and all that jazz but so we're going to spread that out over a couple episodes um we invited unskilled first officer on as the number one republic fleet at worlds not only that but he was the the vessel world cup champion we never really got the opportunity to bring him on as we were doing worlds prep and so we wanted to bring him on and talk about the very first metric or data point that we want to discuss coming out of Worlds, and that is the faction flow-through. Basically, how many of a particular faction were on day one, and how many of those made their way from day one to day two, and then from day two ultimately up to the top eight. Um, after that, we're going to do a little bit of a, a Republic discussion, where the, where the faction sits right now, um, especially afterwards and what we saw and how we kind of see the faction moving forward. And then of course, hot take 30 and we've got some good ones today. So hold on to your pants um, or don't hold on to your pants. Do whatever you want. You might be listening to this without pants on. So um, anyways. Okay. So day one of worlds, let's dive right into it. The overall faction spread there were a total of 80 players and the faction spread went thusly. There were 31 empire, 26 rebels, 17 separatists and six Republic. Um, this, it, I mean, we've seen this dynamic for literally, I mean, as many, as many, uh, tournaments as I can think back. The one difference here is 
republic versus separatists. Um, usually we see empire and rebels being around the same and separatists and republic being around the same. I didn't anticipate separatists being three times as popular as republic was. Um, what do you guys think about this spread? I think we got to go straight to, to, to Nick. I mean, he's the, the gar expert among us here. Oh, 100%. But, uh, what, 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 were you surprised to only see six people on day one with, with Republic fleets, Nick? Not at all. I think, um, and particularly like compared to separatists, like gar usually requires a lot of brain, a lot more brain power, I guess, like your typical gar list. Um, CIS traditionally, it's a lot simpler to run. And especially if you're doing a multi-day tournament, I can see the appeal for that. Um, so I, like I said, I'm not surprised that there were so few Republic lists showing up in the world's championship. Yeah. And one other thing I want to mention is this is, pro- I think this is the first tournament since um, the Polish masters, which was recent. Uh, so I shouldn't say that. So other than the Polish masters, this is the first tournament we've seen recently where empire surpassed rebels. Rebels has been a very, very popular faction. Um, and Empire has kind of gone down in uh, since Onagers have kind of come out of favor, which we're going to talk about <laughs> here a little bit later. But I think that's another interesting thing is that might be because of the influx of all of the European players um, coming in and, and bringing their Empire vibe with them. That might have brought it over the edge. So really, really interesting stuff. What I want to do, I also kind of, I also kind of wonder is if some people realized, hey, I'm going to Worlds. This is going to be top tier, and they kind of went back to their roots a little bit. I, I you, when you go through the list and you look at at what people chose to play and who chose to play what, I think we saw a pretty solid trend of people who kind of fell back on something that they were comfortable with. I mean, we had Colin on last week. Uh, um, you know, uh, outbound flight, and he decided, hey, I'm going to go back and pl- uh, I- I'm going to. He went and smashed a whole bunch of face with King Cog, which is very. Uh, that's not a typical Colin type of fleet. But once he got through the last chance qualifier, he immediately went to something that he felt more comfortable with. Um, so I-, I wonder how much of that imperialness is people going back to something that they have played a long time and were comfortable with. I mean, I definitely think that's true. I mean, we looked at like the kind of lists we saw. We saw a lot of German Sloan being run by Germans. There, um, like the Martuk list that we've seen success with. It's uh, all about that comfort food. Yeah, there might be something to that. Also, the the that might be why the numbers for Republic dropped so much. Honestly, I think a lot of players have gotten familiar with um, separatists that have dedicated the time, but. Uh, a lot of the players that have dedicated time to Republic maybe still feel more comfortable in the Empire faction. Something to think about. I'm not sure if that's true. One of the missing pieces for for Republic only came out in, what, April or so for um, with uh, Delta Anakin? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's speaking of late bloomers, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So... I mean, I think Gar doesn't need Anakin, like, I was running something very similar in Hoth the year before, right before Anakin came out. And that also had some good success, but Anakin certainly helps. It's a little, I think it could have been done without team. him. Wow. So let's talk about the, the, the commanders. So I, I picked the top 
three commanders. I tried to. There were some factions where uh, there were only two options, or there was one particular faction where there was only one option. Um, so in, in the Empire, out of the 31 fleets, 10 of them were Sloan, 8 were Ramadi, and 7 were Jurgerod. And to me, this tracks. Um, in Rebels, we had... Well, actually, no, let's stop there. So the, those three commanders, everything else was uh, two or less people took those commanders. Is is this what kind of what you guys expected? 10 Sloan, 8 Ramadi, and 7 Jurgerod. I for everyone did expect something like this, but you, you look at the at at what each of these does for you in the imperial. All three of these are in some way kind of offensive, right? Sloan and Ramadi are very clearly offensive type of uh, type of admirals. JJ is offensive in the way that it makes your ships uh, maneuver to be offensive and be in places where your opponent doesn't want them to be. You know. And then when we we'll talk about the other commanders, but we've already talked about what rebels like in a commander, and it just it's this just seems like we we keep harping the same things. Is Imperials need something to give them an offensive advantage because they have plenty of defensive tech. Yeah, interesting to me too. Like one of the one of the other admirals that was brought was Ozel, who's also a you know a speed manipulation. Um, admiral for the empire in the same way that that uh, or maneuver i suppose a maneuver manipulation uh, admiral like jerry is but even though he's six points cheaper and doesn't cost you any shields by far that that those extra yaws are far more important than than the um than the speed manipulation well, i'd say the speed manipulation lends itself to a different play style or more less aggressive play style and i think like you said, Jared Gerard is lets you do a lot more aggressive things and fit in a lot more places. And Ozil doesn't Ozil's good, but I don't think he fits quite into that offensive mindset. Which is interesting because we, we when you look at, at the world championships as compared to like the LCQ, you know, LCQ seem to bring much more um, you know, offensive um swing for the fence kind of fleets. Whereas the the world championships tend to be more, um, I don't know, what would you call it? Like more solid, um, more cagey, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting trade-off. The the world championships fleets all wanted to li- they wanted to win in the uh, around the edges, not necessarily like around the edges of the board, but very few of the world's fleets were really trying to hit you with haymakers. They were trying to eat up something that is vulnerable and take the, take the midsize win for the most part. Yeah. I want to, I want to utilize caution in that statement because at least half of the top eight are very much haymaker fleets. So got to be careful with that. But I do agree in general, if you look across the top 26, that's generally what you see is a lot of uh, playing around the edges. So all right, well, let's move on to the Rebel top commander choices. There were only two of them. Everything else was two or less. But there were 11 Agate and four Kraken, which go Kraken. I mean, that's pretty awesome. But 11 Agate, honestly, I, I legit expected this. And not even about like percentage of the faction, but I, I was anticipating like one-eighth of the field to be Agate. Like I really did feel that going into it. That wasn't surprising to me at all. 
I mean, that's just where gate has been. Like one of the things that rebels really struggled with pre wave eight is they had no default commander to pick that was cheap that could fit into just about any fleet. Like, Jerzerod and for the Empire, you can fill Jerzerod into damn near anything you want. Like he'll he'll work. Um, you know, even Ramadi, you know, he's an, a good default type of commander. Uh, but the rebels never really had that. Like if you had a rebel commander, you had to build to that commander until they got a gate. And now we just plus a gate is very very good at keeping a flagship alive. And you know, people wanted to fortress their points, like it, because it's that's how you can win. I think there's an interesting story that uh, I think we're going to get into when we start looking at uh, at day two um, around a gate and and versus admirals like uh, like Akbar and and Kraken, um, but yeah, I mean as far as fleet building goes, clearly a gate is by far the most attractive for the reasons you uh, you said, and and I'm not sure if I'm not sure if that's a, a a bad thing or if it's just the thing. Well, what's what what's Hopefully, what what's about to happen is we're going to dispel some myths or rumors about feasibility or viability of particular commanders. And a gate, to, we're looking at the numbers, is probably the number one, no, the number two commander that's impacted by the myth that if you take a gate, like, you're good to go. Um, so we'll get to the number one commander here in a second. That, it, that has that around it. But yeah, I think um, what's interesting is really coming into this, a lot of people had a lot of success with the gate. And I think we've come to the point now where people get it. People understand what a gate does. And there are too many fragile things are either around a gate or uh, too many people are bringing those sufficient dice pools to crack in a gate, if that makes sense. It's not just dice pools, though. Like there's there's been a movement towards boarding troopers, and if there's one thing that that a, a gate really really struggles with, it's boarding troopers. And so when you when you run into when your gate starhawk runs into something that can flip four of your tokens, you're in some trouble because you can really only bring one of them back if you have Waylix. Outside of that, if you have to burn, uh, you know, four tokens to stay alive, the turn you get boarding troopers, you're SOL the next turn. I mean, you're just toast. It's hard. Like I, I, I don't, I don't know what the stat is on number of boarding troopers in the tournament. I didn't really see that happen too many times, but I did see like, you know, for instance, the Mac and Daniel game round one day one. Like I'm gonna bring this up, and Mac's gonna hate it, but. Like Mac and his agate potato getting absolutely overwhelmed by the shots that Daniel was able to put on it. And it's like, that's brutal. But I, the King Cog is what comes to mind with that. Like, absolutely. If that fleet gets real popular, pl- like, people better stop bringing a gate because that's going to be absolutely just uh, gut wrenching to watch all of your tokens get burnt all at once. So, well, I without mean, a doubt. But, but not only that, but like the other way to so that boarding troopers and big dice pools. That's one way to kill a gate. The other way to kill the gate is to paper cutter to death with you know a whole bunch of little shots or squads. That will also kill a gate eventually, um, and you know it's your back to your old damage application plan. Ooh, the dap, yeah. Okay, let's. Let's move on to the separatist commander choices. 
there were, oh my gosh, I can't, I'm having a hard time digesting this. There were 11 Martuk fleets. 11 out of 17. It's atrocious. And then there were three Grievous fleets. All the other commanders kind of uh, tapered off, two or less. But 11 Martuk, five of those were Recusant Muni Muni Martuk fleets. Guys, is this really where we're at? as a faction for separatists, this is embarrassing. It honestly is. Looks like it. I mean, (laughs) excellent. (laughs) Yep. Just, yeah, yeah, that's it. I I would, I'm curious about Nick's take on this because I, I I suspect that he has faced a lot of these type of uh, Martuk fleets over the course of the last, you know, the Vassal World Cup and, and other tournaments. But I mean, you had Sky Cake that went in and won LVO with that fleet. And I think that a number of people saw that and said, hey, that looks easy to fly. I can do that. And not necessarily just straight copied him, but wanted to jump into something that they thought was going to be easy to play. And thus they could, you know, have a a very little mental load to play for three days worth of playing. And it just didn't work out that way because people... Like the people at this level look at that fleet and said, okay, you, we know there are, there's a number of ways to break it. There's a number of ways to win against it. And it just kind of filtered to the bottom. Well, it's, it's funny that you mention me, but strangely enough between BWC and then the world itself, I only played one or two lists in each. What? Yes. Out of, out of how many games? That's, that's unreal. I, I, I'll need to double check, but I think I played like both Grievous lists. Um, but yeah, I think I've only played oh I only, I think only played Mako and VWC, and I only played um, Rob's RMM list as well. <laughs> well, good for you, man. So I, 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 <laughs> that's crazy. I don't know if I have a qualified opinion, but I do agree with the like he's easy to play. You don't have to think about timings with him too much. You don't have to have like a huge master plan. He's just like, hey, does they have shields and I'm shooting them with a ship? Let me add some more red dice to it. And you know, when you're expect hoping to go for three days straight, you know, like that that mental load is it's not having to worry about too much is really nice. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. I do think a lot of people picked him took that fleet that archetype thinking that it would be easy mode and they found out that it really wasn't republic top commander choice there was only one there is only one and there continues to only be one and that's bale our boy bale organa dominated AKA, in the vassal world cup what? aka budget thrawn budget thrawn dude he's he i better think he's thrawn. better than thrawn yeah he's better <laughs> better than thrawn <laughs> I didn't say it was he was cheap Thrawn. I said he was budget Thrawn. He's, sometimes he's thrifty. Sometimes things on a budget are great, like Taco Bell. I, I'm gonna have to respectfully disagree there. <laughs> oh, oh. Love, love the crickets on. on that one. That was great. Come on, dang it! But ba- okay, so but for real, Bale. I think we talked about this before on the podcast. Um, Bale solves so many issues that the Republic have, where. Um, their nav chart isn't great, sure, but I mean, you can direct the ship in the general direction with a couple nav commands, but when you're in the heat of things, that's when you really need to repair and you really need to nav to get proper positioning, either with your exit vector or to get that double arc again. Like 
and Bale offers all of that in droves and he's uh you can't slice him you can't you really can't rate him like he offers so much to the faction and it's a no-brainer to me that uh it was three bales that were the most popular commander and spoiler alert all three of those bales made it to day two like that that speaks that's speaks worlds to me honestly at worlds no less yeah speak yeah well i yeah i did say that didn't i you did (laughs) so nick can you explain to us the appeal to of bale to to you as a gar player when you when you're building your fleet when and you're like okay i'm going to build this fleet up what 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 speaks to you about bale that makes him your choice over something else like Ularin or um or obi-wan or something else well i think right we've talked a couple of times about like mental load um and bale at least for like my fleet building and my philosophy is is an example of that in the sense that like the first two turns, I'll take some sort of token on the Venator, but then it's just straight squads after that. And I don't have to think about it. And so Bale lets me come and it's like, Oh, do I need a nap at some point? I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to plan for it. I just take the dial off Bale and say, Hey, I need to slow down or speed up. Um, and you can also take two Taz at once. So sometimes I need to repair and I need to change my speed. Um, And so just being able to get that all at once when you need it on a faction that's not very flexible is great. And it's just, it's very powerful when you don't have to think about your dials on your big ship. I don't remember, I don't know what the, I know there was another guy who's running something similar. I don't know what the third bail list was, if anyone happens to know what it, what it is off the top of their head. Um, I'm guessing it's probably a similar thought process behind it. Truthiness flew a fleet that was very similar to yours the 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 Irish cream fleet and then Reese mm-hmm. was the one that flew a double venator consular with uh like four squads I believe which also did really well so well I think it, again it comes back to simplifying your command stack I'm, I'm didn't see Reese's games but I'm guessing he was able to put a bunch of con fires onto those vens and still have them get on target repair when they needed to um, just being able to do multiple things at once is of, of yeah. course really powerful. It was, a double, it was a double double spa T fleet, so that's exactly what he was doing, yeah. Yeah, he fixes so many problems. He he forgives me for my sins. Mostly the vendor's navigational chart, but you know, some other things too. Sometimes I, I, I also helper. think that I He's our Lord and Savior. He, <laughs> he's no, the, the fox left, of the hand of the car affection. <laughs> on, no, on the so right I, you have Fox, on the left you have Bale. <laughs> oh god. Um so Nick, I, I guess one of the things is I feel like Bale is a commander that you have to be careful when you're building your fleet with him. You can't have too many, you can't go the MSU route and have Bale still be effective because you'll just burn out his dials too quickly. Am I wrong in that? Or is that a thought factor for you as well when you're building a Bale fleet? I mean, I think you could throw him into a lot of lists and be fine. It's sort of like Jerry or Ozzel where you could, you could throw him in any, almost anywhere and it'd be okay. Um, I mean, I think he likes ships with engineering value for, so Peltas, Clams, and Venators. And then pretty much all Gar ships want the extra nav if they can take it. I don't think he's stuck um, in a particular list building's mindset, but it's, uh, I don't know, I think he's just still very flexible and you can take him, you can do a lot of different things with him. Even if it's not super efficient, he's still going to do something for you at the end of the day. Fair enough. 
Fox, you want to take us on to day, day two and on how these progressed on? Let's do it. All right. Into day two, there were, so the overall faction spread, 11 imps made it, which was 35% of all Empire fleets. Eight rebels made it, which was 30% of all rebel fleets. Five separatists made it, which was 29% of all separatist fleets. And then three Republic made it. 50% of all Republic fleets that that entered made it through and all three were bail, which we'll come right back, back, right back around to. Um, but first off, I think this spread uh, makes a ton of sense to me. And it, it kind of speaks to the fact that like it doesn't matter what faction you're playing. Um, it, it's more about the player and how skilled they are because if you, if you think like 35% of Imperials, 30% of Rebels, 29% of Separatists, like it's pretty much a third of everybody's going through. And, oh, what's that? 26, per, 26 was a third of 80. Like that just makes sense to me. Like it's a third of everybody getting through. These are the most skilled players. Yada, yada, yada. doesn't matter what faction you fly. However, which commanders did these very skilled players choose? That is interesting. The imp command. This is all the commanders in the fa- in that made it to day two. By the way, for the Imperials, four Ramadi, three Sloan, two JJ, one Ozil, and one Mahdi. I love the Ozil and the Mahdi poking it poking its head through. Um, but this is uh, from to go from ten Sloan to three. We've talked a little bit about how Sloan is kind of losing its her potency. Um, and two of those were German Sloan, by the way. Like, is this evidence of that? Is Sloan kind of losing steam? I don't know. How much of that is um, is Pedix affecting her ability to, to hurt um, ships? Oh, yeah. Fair. I, I don't know. I certainly wouldn't blame Lumi for that. Um which is what I, if I, if someone had to tell me just off the bat, like, oh, why slow and disappearing? I would just assume that it's like, oh, they happen to have a lot of Lumis in their meta, but I don't, I'm guessing that's not the case based on the, the spread of Republic Command. One thing that I've kind of run into with the Sloan fleet is when you lean into Sloan, you tend to le- lean into the fact that the Imperial squads are very offensive, but they can be deleted off the board too. So German Sloan it works a little differently in that it's kind of based around Morallo and actually fairly uh, somewhat tanky uh, lambdas. And, you know, it can move Morallo on and off the station and things like that. Well, wait, 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 wait. Bo- both of the German Sloans did, did not have Morallo, actually. Oh, did that, they not? Okay, I, Neither I apologize. Neither did. For, for yeah, that. no, it's okay. okay. But because I was uh, surprised too, but. Yeah. So usually when you think of German Sloan, that's what you think of. But in general, Sloan struggles with the fact that, again, like I said, the the fighters are pretty fragile. And so like when I run her, I've been forced to lean into reserve hangar decks just to let me kind of stick around long enough that when you get these really, really tanky, tanky squads uh, that you have to fight against, sometimes you just get overwhelmed. And then you run into my, uh, uh, and then I run into an unskilled first officer and he's got a whole bunch of tanky Y-wings and, you know, uh, uh, ruthless strategist for absolute days to just crush you with, uh, with, 
with uh, flak power. So I think that more than anything, it's not Sloan that's the problem. It's the Imperial squads and just the amount of beef that we're generally seeing in squads lately. Like in, in a world where people generally don't take a whole lot of beefy squads, Sloan just kind of rips strips to shreds. But if you have to burn through their squad ball first, yeah, you still have a decent shot at winning. But if you get through it and most of your squads are dead, you are going to struggle to actually kill ships because you're, most of your firepower is gone. And I think that that's really where, where she's struggling right now more than anything. Uh, she's a finesse tool and not a brute force one. I guess by that logic, though, I mean, Rebels, generally speaking, run heavy or like thick squad balls. You know, you've got six whole, a bunch of six hull rogues. Uh, you've got Lando. I mean, shouldn't she be short? Shouldn't she have struggled with those earlier or before we um, back before, you know, Gar and CIS were released? I don't know. Like, I, I don't I don't know what the answer is. Like, I, I when I, I'm just kind of been I've, I still play her uh, kind of quite a bit late still lately. And I see these are the the issues that I've been, that have been cropping up for me. The other thing that, that has been cropping up is just the amount of MSU that's out there. That's backed by heavy squads, like getting enough damage on target to, to get through that just either with your ships or with your squads or both. That's, it's just a real slog. Well, let me, so I'm going to tell y'all what I saw. So um, what what I saw is Grievous is a problem, and there were several Grievous fleets, uh, number one. Number two, there are too many repair-style fleets that don't even really care about their tokens, which is huge. Three, Beast of Burden, especially in these Martug fleets or Separatist fleets, that's huge. Beast of Burden, refreshing that token. Um, number one, number on four. Um, the Ularen, uh introduces, uh, Nick, to your point, like, yeah, like those six whole squads in, in, on the Rebel side would cause a problem. Big's balls are fight, fare a little bit better against Sloan, but it's really the Ularen repairing of the arcs where it's like you really got to get a lot of damage on target now before it gets a little overwhelming um five nick your own fleet dude <laughs> like the ruthless strategist uh and the the ruthless and then or pods and all of that like you can instantly delete a vast majority of imp- imperial uh squads and that really wasn't a prevalent option like there weren't a lot of uh ships that were wanting to take up their weapons team slot and a ordnance slot for that combo. But that's become really, really popular. And in fact, two of the bail fleets in the top 26 had that combo. So there's a lot of things actively working. And I didn't even mention Luminara, but there's a lot of things actively working against Sloan right now to where, like Kellorn said, um, you have to have alternative plans to keep your squads alive otherwise or like it's more of a finesse thing than a brute forcing like it used to be and, and Slo- that's where sloan is struggling honestly um but yeah well let's move on to the next 
let's move on to rebels. I don't want to, I don't want to dwell too long on uh, Imperials because we got a lot more we got to cover. But Rebel Commanders, by far the most interesting, I think, out of all of these. There were t- only two out of the 11 Agate made it through. Two Akbar, two Kraken, one Radis, and one Riken. Um, how cool is that? That like the, the, the five, the big five that have been discussed a lot all made it through to the top 26. I think this is a really cool spread. Um, what do you guys think about this? I thought it was really cool uh, to see that too, especially people like like seeing Reichen head up towards the top again. Um, and uh, I, I, I did dig up the numbers real quick and uh, talking about Agate and boarding troopers, there were 11 instances of boarding troopers on day one and uh, only two on day two. So I don't, I don't know if there was a whole bunch of attrition uh, that wound up happening there uh, between boarding troopers and a gate, but you know, she sure didn't help people push through into the top, uh, top 26. I think that the story here is less about the Akbar, Kraken, Radis, and Riken, which I, all that makes sense to me that, that that kind of is there. And in just how far a gate fell from 11 players in day one to two on day two. And, you know, Fox, you and I have talked in the past about the kind of the tranquility invincibility syndrome that we sometimes see in the guard players. I I think that a, a gate invincibility syndrome finally caught up to the rebels in the competitive environmental worlds. 100% agree. I think that's exactly right. And I guess watching from when you were there watching, what did you see in the gate games, particularly on day one that were, where they struggled? You know, I, you know, I was talking to Truthy and he explained that, you know, the, the one fo- uh, Fox, Fox, I almost said it. <laughs> the one, one farm almost <laughs> made it through uh, that people just chose advanced gunnery against it and it, and ran away from it all day. Um, you know, in the past, you know, you've had people that weren't willing to do that. Uh, but you know, there was kind of like a, a, an understanding, uh, in this, at this level of play that, yeah, you just do that. And there's not a lot I can do is that where else did a gate have struggles? You, you talked about Mac, uh, and, and, and his potato, uh, but where else do people have struggles with a gate? Um, so yeah, mercy mission. Guys, fair warning. Mercy mission is absolutely killing farm hawks. Like, uh, Nick, would you agree with that? I say stop spilling all my secrets. But um, <laughs> yes, it's. I'm so sorry. That was, that was when I built my list. One of the deciding factors between taking something I was familiar with, which was an interdictor ISD, like boarding troopers or gunnery teams, and my gar list was that. What do I do when I see a hawk? And I came down to like, I like mercy mission. I like it a lot. Yeah, so the, the the hawk that made it through to day two, um, there's only one. Uh, it got it got pinned with mercy mission. Uh, and Nick, did you play that one on day two, or did you not? I didn't face any hawks. Okay, at cool. Worlds. Wow, somehow you avoided every single high meta fleet, which is great. Um, but tr- truthiness played a game against this hawk, uh, like last final round of day two. And I got to watch this game in person. It was incredible. But like it, the, the level of hopelessness of like, okay, even if it has, even if that Hawk has uh, advanced gunnery, two shots isn't gonna, isn't enough to kill a Venator outright. Um, and especially with Bale, 
as the commander. And then Mercy Mission is just going to sit in the corner and you you no longer have the potential to win with the six. Now it's a five. Like you were betting on getting the sixes to push you through and it would have pushed you through. Um, well, actually it wouldn't have. I think the cutoff was 25 or 26 to get into the final day. But yeah, man. And not only that, but what we just talked about, how there are so many options now to snipe away squads and just totally avoid the flagship. Like it, there's there's too much agility and alternative approaches for a gate uh, if you can properly force the issue. You have to properly force the issue. That's the deal with a gate. And you can't anymore with Mercy Mission. So I'm yeah. sorry, you know? Yeah. The the top eight was uh, twenty five and uh, two thirteen, and the top um, a gate hawk was uh, was Eric Connors. He actually came in top two at St Lawrence Open in uh, in Montreal. Uh, he got uh, twenty two points. He had six five five six or six five five six six five. It's five six six five. Yeah, yeah. So that's he it. Did right pretty there. good on day one seven four six nine, and then five six six five. Yep. So. Really tough, really tough out there for gay players right now, honestly. Um, okay, let's talk about Separatist Commanders. Another interesting one. See, I think the Rebel line and the Separatist line I enjoy the most out of on day two. Day three, not so much for Separatists. We'll get there in a second. But um, Separatist Commanders, there were two TF fleets, one Martuk fleet, one Grievous fleet, and one Dooku fleet. Um Took fell from 11 taken at the beginning to only one making it to day two. And uh, both TF fleets made it to day two, which is kind of awesome. How do we feel about this? I have a lot of thoughts, but how do we feel about this? I think, I mean, along the same way Agate is kind of the, well, everybody takes her and it's, you know, this this sort of pigeonhole almost uh, perception for the, for the faction. I think Mark Took is is the same in a lot of ways. And so on, you know, I, I, I hate to, to see people go into a big tournament and, and struggling, but uh, I also don't mind seeing the, the go-to kind of put down a bit, because I think that makes you reevaluate where things are and, and, and look for different opportunities and seeing admirals like Dooku and Grievous and TF rise up. Um, you know, Dooku was the, the highest placing separatist. Which I'm sure you have, uh, you, you know, Foxy, you're pretty happy about. But um, I'm very familiar. You know, yeah, <laughs> Grievous, Grievous did pretty well. The TFs did pretty well. So I think it's I think it's good for for the faction to see that kind of success from these other admirals. I think this gets back down to just when you're going to take a dice ad admiral, you the dice need to be good, and I just like. Why Ramadi is good to me isn't because he adds a red dice. It's because he prov- he basically says obstruction no longer works and it actually goes the other way. So we are trained to seek out ways to make it so that we're, we were obstructed. And so it's very easy to get into situations where uh, obstructed shots, instead of protecting you now actually hurt you. Whereas Martuk, all that agency by and large goes to the the other player tf when you add black dice you're going to smash somebody and if you're going to add black dice at medium range you're going to smash somebody and i mean we're back to you know like 
demolishers and raiders and x racks and TF basically says, I'm going to give all my ships uh, the equivalent of X-Rex, but they can do it once a turn if they get if, if they set everything up properly. That's really, really powerful. It's it's expensive as hell. Like we've talked all about the opportunity cost of TF, about how expensive he is as an admiral and, and all the tech that you need to take him to make it work. But if you can line it up, you can just smash, you can bowling ball ships down the road. Unskilled, how do you feel about this? You know, I've never quite thought about it like that in terms of pretty much you add in external racks, which it could be even at long or medium. Um, that's, yeah, that's an interesting way to think about it. It's, it's a, I guess, another example of aggression. It's, it's, it's more aggressive than Martuk in some cases, and you don't actually have to worry about the downside. Um, and you probably but, have these players who've been playing it for a while, and they're familiar with the list, and they played it a lot, versus the Martuk players who might have just grabbed it because it was something... What they thought was familiar, thought was easy, thought was safe. Excellent point. There, yeah, that, that's a great point too. But I guess the other thing is like the TF fleets. You need to be a lot more careful about how you fly because your ships. You can, you literally can't take what Fox and I probably believe is the like the mainstay of the of the of the CIS fleet, the Star Frigate, because you need to take a comms fragment to to have an offensive retrofit slot. So right out the door, your Munis are much less survivable than than just about all the other munis in the faction. So when that's the case, you're you're looking to make tra- you're trading up. You're trying to find places to trade up because you know you're going to lose ships. Are we sure that they're running munis though? Like I think battle reef. I guess I don't know the list off the top of my head, but I imagine I, 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 battle I, I reef at hard cells. The battle refit hard cells work, but you you really need the munis uh, to uh, because of the the range. One one I actually have this data. The one was a six activation patriot fist, uh, two gazantes, and three hard cells, and another one was a providence, two comms frigates, and uh, two gazantes squad, both squadless. The the squadless thing is a little more aggressive than I w- was when I was playing around with TF, but yeah, it's a it's a choice that can be made, and I think it was made interestingly in in this tournament. The I mean the 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 double muni one made it to top table, so I mean it, you got both. You actually have every ship in the faction uh, represented across those two TF fleets, which again super cool. Like the ingenuity and. Nick, like you were saying, like obviously people practicing these fleets and and trying to hone them. The the main danger with TF is you, you need to be at medium range, and uh, that's brutal for a lot of ships in the Separatist faction. So, uh, okay, last faction. We're just gonna skim right over it because we got a big discussion. Uh, hopefully, uh, here at the end about uh, Republic, but it was the three bales. They made it. Fifty percent of the people that made it. That that uh, 50% of the people that brought Republic made it to day two, and all three of them were Bale players. So that's uh, really cool. Moving on to day three, the top eight. You'll never guess which fleets made it. Uh, you probably will. Okay, so there were three Empire fleets. That's nine point six percent of all empires that empire imperials that uh, that uh, entered. Twenty seven percent of those that came into day two. There were four rebels. That's fifteen percent. 
of all rebels that entered and a full 50% of the rebels that made it to day two. There were zero separatists. That's 0% of all separatists that entered <laughs> worlds and 0% of those that made it to day two. And you really had to get that in there, didn't you? I did. That's how that works, by <laughs> the way. That's how percentages work. Um, respects. <laughs> and then one Republic fleet that is currently on the the airwaves with us right now. One Republic fleet that made up 16.7% of all that that uh, came in to Worlds and 33% of all the Republic fleets from day two. Um, yeah, this tracks, honestly. And this is, this is a stat line that we've seen from almost every single um, tournament, major tournament this past year, is Rebels winning out as far as percentage of of the people in the top eight, and then one of these Clone Wars factions squeaking through and doing well. I'm not surprised by this at all, really. And uh, all this to say, there were 30 or 40 names easily that if you had told me, oh, yeah, they're going to be in the top eight, I would have been like, oh, well, yeah, like this is e- that's an easy choice. So that's another thing, too, to think about, like the the faction really doesn't have much to do with what went on. These players were top tier, including you, Nick, like you crushed it, man, to get to where you got to, especially after winning Vassal world cup. Like it was incredible to watch you be the sole clone wars commander, make it into top eight. Like this is incredible. So excellent work. Um, you know, well, thanks. It was I surprised my, surprised me too, actually. <laughs> but it was it was fun. It was strange too. I was not expecting to be the only Clone War, Clone War faction up there. Yeah, I was I was watching. I was really cheering hard because I was really hoping we'd have uh, I think the first uh, double crown winner. Someone's got the the VWC and the Worlds. JJ and then, JJ Juggernaut's done it, but did yeah, he do yeah, it? Yeah, oh, okay, yeah, he did it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That might have been before my time. Yeah. But yeah, uh, second then, but still, I mean, huge, right? Went to to the uh, major platform tournaments in real life in Vassal, and then you just have to go over to TTS and beat up these guys, and uh, you need to have all three. As a moment, a triple to, crown. You know, <laughs> as a moment to to mention that there, I, I will say, you know, Nick won uh, Vassal World uh, Vassal World uh, Cup and ended up in the top eight uh, at Worlds. Patrick Dupe um, made it to or won the Endor tournament and made it to the, the, the top eight at worlds. Um, and, and Malador has, has, you know, he played well in both of those tournaments as well. I mean, and ended up winning worlds. So, I mean, like the same names are coming. I think we go back to like, we talked a little bit about, you know, it's the player and the same names keep coming up because that's they're they're at the top of their game. And Nick's one of those guys. Real quick, on that note, um, I really do want to point out, I've been talking for a while about how online play during the pandemic has kind of escalated or brought up the the level, the skill level of a lot of players. Every single player here, except for Black Admiral in the top eight, are notable online players. Um, and I think that's a very, very important thing to think about and consider like the ease of practice and iterations of fleets and all that jazz really helps you drill in 
and understand the game on a level that you really can't in person. So, and it applies in person. A lot of people say, oh, online doesn't really apply in person. Clearly it does, uh, or, or the other way around. So something to think about all you people out there. Um, commander spread. This shouldn't be surprising. Um, the only imp commander that made it to day three was Ramadi. The only Republic commander that made it to day three was Bale. But there were four unique rebel commanders, Radis, Akbar, Kraken, and Riken. You'll notice uh, there is one commander that is absent that was here on day two, and that is Agate. Really, really cool to see the slate of rebel commanders on day three. Unfortunately, um, none of them, uh, only one, uh, the Akbar, so Angry Ewok, made it to crack the top four. But um, at that point, like you're talking about, this is such a level of play. Like, I mean, it's still such an accomplishment to get to this point. So, um, yeah. How do we feel about the top eight? Is this what we expected? Is this the sp- like the commanders and the spread that we feel like makes the most sense right now in the game? I do, but I want to pivot this to, to Nick real quick. And just we've, we've, we've talked to both... Uh, to Colin Looney about, you know, the LCQ. And then we talked, and we talked to James about his win. And I've talked to uh, Jason Healy a little bit offline about, you know, what it was like, but can you give us just your impression of these players and these lists in the top eight? And did it feel like that was like, did it feel right that this was the way it uh, panned out? The word rights, very interesting. Um, At least for the Imperial, it's what I expected. Uh, for sure. I expected to see a pile of onagers up there, and I was not disappointed. Um, the the mix of the rebels also sort of match. I was expecting to see some Kraken, some Riken, more defensive, who are also good against onagers. Um, so that's, it, it sort of, it felt right. I guess I didn't have a particular expectation of what players were going to make it in there, but I was expecting what ships and what commanders, and that did for the most part, lineup. I was expecting to see like one separatist and at least one agate, but um, apart from that, it was sort of fe- it still felt right, except for the fact that I was there. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was. I mean, I would have liked to have seen somebody keep uh, keep Ramadi company up there, and and um, and one of the Pauls with his uh, Madi fleet came in came close, um, but couldn't uh, couldn't quite crack the top eight. Yeah. Um, well, let's. Let's. I want to. I want to visit some of these high meta stats. So these fleets that have been pervading uh, the the meta for quite some time, and how they did, and then we'll move into. I want to talk about the state of Gar for for a hot minute before we move on to our favorite segment. But there were three different fleets or ships that we wanted to track and kind of see how they did throughout the three days. Number one, Farmhawks. Uh, big conversation coming into here, um, obviously, of my own, uh, f- from the depths of my mind, this curse has uh, befallen our great land. There were four Farmhawks in day one. Only one made it to day two, and none of them made it to day three. Just absolutely weeded out through this competition. Same with RMM Took, Recusant Muni Muni. Martuk fleets. There were five on day one. There was only one that made it to day two, and none of them made it to day three. Um, I'm not saying that this fleet archetype should die, uh, 
What I am saying is you have to be really, really careful and practice with this archetype. Like these aren't plug and play super easy. When you get to where the skill level here, where uh, every little thing matters, they, they just don't have the push that they need in my mind. And then onagers, there were 11 total onagers on day one across all fleets, seven total onagers on day two, and four total onagers on day three. I mean, what? I'm going to be really honest. I did not see this coming. I did not anticipate onagers doing this well. Um, How do you guys feel about these stats? Sad. I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, I think. I mean, looking at stuff like the 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 farm hawk and the the RMM took. If we look at the the sort of pre worlds data that we had compiled uh, for our pre worlds episode, you know, the the hawk was there four times. The RMM took was there five times. They each had two wins out of those major tournaments. So they were, um, you know, well regarded fleets. They were solid fleets, and and that was reflected in especially the 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 took. You know, how many people took took that took fleet um but yeah you know like the seeing them come and and struggle so hard and seeing the onager still do so well um and i i i hope that and i'm i'm, I'm gonna probably drop a, a a semi-hot take a lukewarm take i don't know but i, I do hope the the onager has a has an eyeball put on it when and if that ever happens um because clearly it is overperforming compared to the top top group of uh, players in the world. I think that one of the things that we, we got into is that there's a difference in, in, in average player playing an onager and a top of the, their game person playing an onager. Uh, if you watch Jason Healy, you know, he will spend time whenever he maneuvers and use reference points in his head to predict where his, uh, his arc's going to be, uh, 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 for a special firing arc and make sure that he's going to get the shot that he wants to get. Like onagers are, have a very high, uh, you know, ceiling, but they also have a pretty high skill floor too. Like you can't just willy nilly take an onager and expect to win. We, the, that's, that part has been very clear over the last year or so. Um, but at the same time, a well-played onager is something that's very difficult to deal with. And I think that we had gotten to a point in the community where people were like, onagers are there. Yeah, I need to deal with them, but they're not my first problem. And that came back and bit a whole lot of people right in the butt. Yeah, I think that's that's probably a good point. Yeah, we, we did kind of start to feel like, okay, we know what onagers do, how they work, weaknesses, etc. But yeah, when you when you put... Uh, you know, you can put a, a dull stick in the hands of a, of a really good fighter and it's dangerous. But I'm actually with Fox. I was not expecting onagers to do quite this well. That's all I'm saying. Like, I, I know that an onager player would do really well. Like, I'm not saying I doubted Jason or anything, you know, him going, uh, knowing that he'd be flying double onager. Like, I, I didn't think he'd do poorly, but I, I honestly didn't expect this many people to not be ready for onagers, you know? I, I also think you need to take a look at what how, how Jason, his games played out. Jason won, or Jason won and did as well as he did based a lot on the fact that there, whenever he got a matchup that was good for him, he blew it off the table and got a nine or a 10. 
And then so that when he did run into a fleet that was more difficult for him and he got a four or a five or a six or whatever he got, that wasn't the end of his tournament because he had just blown the other guy off the table and was at the top of the standings. Like it it's, that was, that was what was propping him up. Well, that's, yeah, that's generally, that's, that's a great strategy to win worlds, you know, is, uh, or, you know, get close I, to I, it. That wasn't me like bearing down as telling him he was doing it wrong. It's just, it was not the, I'm going to get a bunch of sevens and eights type of wins. He, he was going for, I'm going to kill you or I'm going to not, you know, but it's going to, av- but it's going to average out in the end. I'm going to kill you or I'm not going to. It very much is a killing is very much a binary situation. That's you're absolutely right. It's either that didn't come out quite the way I wanted to, but I mean, like, sorry, the way I should say that is I'm going to get a big win or I'm going to not get a get a win at all. If that makes sense. Right. No, I know what you mean. Nick, what do you think, man? Well, I think in terms of like being able to capitalize on good matchups, like onagers, especially when they have engine techs are really, it's like, it's, it's hard to play defensively against that. If you if you're going into that and you're behind and you know, you need to play KG to get like a six, five, like being able to get out of range of those things is almost impossible. So when he has good matchups, he's going to hammer the crap out of you and he's going to get a big win because there's nothing you can do to avoid him. And when he doesn't have a good matchup, he's got the speed to get away and minimize those losses. Exactly what I was trying to say, but said way better. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, like, like I'm just taking a peek at his, his record and his, his worst game was a four on day one. And then he was uh, a couple of fives on day, day or one five on day two, two fives on day three. And it's seven, eights and tens otherwise. So Nick, the reason we brought you on today is not just to talk about how your worlds went, which clearly went well, but what is the state of the Republic? What is the state of where the the factions at? And we're looking down the barrel of a potential Anakin commander. Is that what the faction needs to go forward? Well, maybe this falls into the hot take category, but Gar was what Gar needs is old intel. You know, I think if we had old intel, you'd be seeing a lot more Gar lists, a lot more Gar fleets, just because. And I think they were as a faction were balanced around intel, and then that got kneecapped right when they got released. But you can still make them work, and they still have some builds that function. It just takes a lot more work, and there's a lot less room for error. And we see that in a lot of less people play them. Fox, as kind of the arch enemy of the uh, of Gar, that's me. Where do you see <laughs> the, the 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 Republic faction as a whole as something uh, from the perspective of I you play separatists constantly? <laughs> yeah. I think what's this is the beginning of I I think a re- revitalization of of the faction honestly I think Bale doing so well opens up people to see the capacity of the faction um because if if Bale does so much for the faction, then why can't, why can't we also do fleet commands and take evasive action? Why can't we, you know, if repairing does so well, we, we already know the projection experts, uh, uh, spam, like why, like there, there's so many other ways to address the things that Bale does so well. And I, I think this is a really cool moment where, wow, we just watched unskilled 
crush it in Vassal World Cup, and we just watched him get second place in Worlds with a fa- like with with a fleet that um, just does so many things so well and addresses so many different uh, problems or or different matchups in the meta. Like th- there are other ways to accomplish this, and there there are just other ways to like I I don't know I'm. I'm jazzed about where Republic is going, and it's so cool to watch Nick do so well. I don't think the faction's siloed. I don't think that's what we walk away from Worlds thinking, that because only the three Bales made it, that it's only Bale. I think, in reality, that this should enliven people to really test it and push it, you know? Yeah, that's what I'm actually really looking forward to, is seeing a lot more Gar out there. Like it Now that it, it's been shown that people can be good with it, like hopefully someone's going to take my list and improve upon it, or realize that no, you don't need you don't need Bale. You can run Plo or Ular or someone else and still have success with it. I mean, it's it, it's I'll be really interesting to see what what we get out of it. And I think like we looked at like the Gar channel after uh, like after VWC, I felt like the activity in it had like tripled or something. So it's people are suddenly thinking about it again, thinking that like hey, I can be competitive with this. I can be I can do things with it that I didn't think were possible before. Believe it or not, the uh, the Republic strategy talk uh, uh, on the on the brand new Armada Hub uh, server uh, is has been one of our most popular channels. Do uh, in fact what you're talking about. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I think there's just so much to reach out for right now. I think a lot of people left Gar alone, or they weren't seeing the success they wanted, and so they defaulted back to their comfort place and i think now that gar is seeing some great success um with reese and truthiness and unskilled doing what they did uh, i think this is an exciting dawn to and, and in particular after like with with rapid reinforcements 2 on the horizon like the the faction has so many exciting things to try and to do. And it's just really, really cool. And I'm excited. I'm not bitter as a separatist player. In fact, I I'm also excited about what came out of it for separatists. Like let's get over the, the two recusant muni muni shenanigans. Like let's move on to these other things. Let's look at how Xantos did with his Dooku fleet. Like let's, let's move on, you know? And I think what's cool about Nick is what, what Nick has done is he's initiated that conversation. Like guys, we can do this. Let's continue pushing. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm stoked. Really, really cool time. Yeah, it is exciting. And and Nick, you get to be the uh, the giant that everybody else gets to stand on. We'll see. We'll see about that. Um, it'll like I said for sure. It'll be exciting to see what like the new commander is, and if it's Anakin, it'll make some for some very interesting choices for sure. Because I don't I don't think Delta Anakin's like mandatory, but he certainly fills a gap that they need. But we'll we'll see. I think there's a lot of unexplored territory with Gar, and hopefully more people playing it will find something else new and exciting. Well, Fox, it's uh, it's that time again. You know what the time I'm talking about, right? Ooh, time for your nap. Time for yeah, time for a nap. Y'all ready? Wait for naps. I'm ready for a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's nine o'clock where we're, when we're recording, it's hot take. 30 time we're gonna come up with a song it's gonna be great um fox is gonna sing it and i'm gonna sing it apparently because i am a good singer and no one in my life has told me otherwise 
Can we can we get to the, some of the dancing girls that do the high kicks or whatever in the background for the song? The, it's radio, dude. It's it's radio, dude. What are you thinking? Oh my god. Anyways, <laughs> armchair. Yeah, you're up first, man. And this is spicy one, fresh off of the rapid reinforcements to reveal new price is going to yeah. make onagers op. Ooh, better get me some milk for that spice. Um. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think New Price is going to make Oranges OP. I think Oranges are already a little OP. Um, I feel like New Price, is, you know, same points as Intel Officer. And what would you rather do? Delete one of my tokens or spend a shield to flip a die? I feel I'd like delete. I feel one like of you'd tokens. rather delete, delete one of my tokens. And yeah. also, ECM exists. So I, I mean, I think people see that and like, oh my goodness, now I can get my my doubles, I get my accuracies, yeah. But wouldn't you rather just blow my brace away and then be done with it? So no, I don't, I don't think um, new price is going to make onagers any more op than they already are. Uh, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a little asterisk on that though because let's see some of these top eight players get a hold of new price and then, um, and then I might change my tune. Kellorn, what do you think about this? I think that her downside of having to spend a shield to do the ability from the attacking arc, no less is going to be one of those things that people are not taking enough into consideration right now. Um, Onagers are notoriously soft. Once you get them in range, obviously they are very difficult to get into that spot. They can hurt you from a very long way away. They in getting close to them is very, very dangerous. That said, if you're burning your shields, if you use price three times, your front shields are now down to two. And most of your quote unquote defensive ability, because you don't have a defensive retro slot and you can't take Tua if you're taking new price, means you know you're going to turn this into even more of a glass cannon. So I think that she is going to be good. I think she, when you pair her with Varnillion on whatever platform you want, I think she's going to be fantastic. But I also think that she's not going to be game breaking or even OP really. I, I do think that she is going to be a negative player experience, but there's a difference between that and being overpowered. Nick, sure. what you got? Well, I, I, I would like to start off by saying I don't think the Onger is that squishy. Like, it's got more hull base than any other large in all the other factions. Like, it's, and it still has a, it's not, like, I'm not saying it's super tanky, but it's definitely can take a few shots. And it can also go speed three, and usually with engine techs and run away if it gets into danger. So I think losing a couple shields on the front isn't going to matter when you can engine tech your way out at speed four. And if you can take out another small on the way out, I think um, I think her ability, like if you have ignition and extreme and you've got your black dice, like smalls are just going to disappear because instead of like 50-50, like, oh, I'm going to get melted if it gets two accuracies, as odds are with sensor team and price, you're going to get two accuracies and enough damage to just take it off the board. And I don't think she'll be as potent against other larges, but she will help you just delete small bases Kill enemy activations. I mean, in a, a CR90 that's not shooting back at you is well worth, like, a single use of TRCs is probably going to be balanced out against the shields you just lost right there. I mean, a, a Varnillion uh, and 
new price or new price sensor team is onager is basically going to delete any um flotilla that it sees they're just they they just can't survive um so if, if there's a big downside as to that 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 would be the one but again like there's a reason like you don't, we're not really seeing a whole lot of flotilla play in, uh, it, it, even CIS. Sometimes they're, they're like, okay, we want to stick with the hard cells. So I don't know. I, I am interested to like, if, if there is one change, like again, r- while they revealed that card, uh, at worlds, I, it would not surprise me in the slightest. If when she came out, she said non-ignition shot, uh, on her card, that would not surprise me at all. But at the end of the day, like, I, I also think that it, the people crying, oh, this is going to be game breaking. That might be a little too soon. All right. Fox. This is clearly inspired by Patrick Dupe, but Jaina's Light is the best flak platform in the game. Patrick was the one that said it. So, yeah. Um, this is interesting because the way that I saw him use it, at Worlds, I agree. Um, I do think on paper there are better ones. Uh, I think you'd you'd be you would be uh, mistaken to forget uh, unskilled first officers Venator with ruthless strategists and uh, ordnance pods. I think um, when you look at what Veers was running, what Sebastian was running with the uh, with the Gladiator and hondo Mahler combo. Uh, I do think, though, that those require other things to help it work in unison for as a flak boat, whereas LTT, Jaina's Light, you really only need uh, one thing, like, to pin... You just need to pin that squad down, and then... And you don't even really need that, honestly. Um, so, I don't know. I, I, I want to say yes. I'm going to say it's definitely up there. It's definitely top three for sure. Copping out. Is it the best or is it not the best? You know what? This is for you, Patrick. It is the best. It's the best. All right. Armchair, tell us why he's wrong. Uh, he's wrong because somebody has to be. No, I, I mean, That's yeah, Jane is, Jane is, Jane is great. Um, but I, you know, I just think about other platforms in the game, like like you know, like like a ruthless, callous uh, demolisher, or I mean, even you know, put LTTs on a um, on the two flak dice munificent. You know, like those are our platforms that can punch out a whole bunch of damage. Um, Janus Light, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, you can, but that 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 first dice, that blue dice, unless you have Torin nearby, which means you know, it's an extra seven points for your for your flag platform but you know it, it's it's 50 50 unless you need that accuracy so um i think i think for my money i think i think it's versatile for sure but when i think of best i think i want something that's going to reliably delete squadrons and um many yeah, I, don't, I don't think i don't think janus is is there nick what you got in terms of uh this take on janus light i mean I think it can be a good flacker, but I wouldn't call it like the best flack platform because you're not building your list around its flacking ability. Um, it's, I mean, it can, it's, it's, it can be good at flacking, but that doesn't, I don't think it's, you don't bring Janus light 
solely as a Flack platform like you would with some other lists. And that's why I would say it's not the best Flack platform. I'd be inclined to agree. I, I Having seen Patrick use it against me at Golden State Games, I, I believe we we talked about it when I came back from GSG. It is a good flak boat, but I I hesitate to call it the best. So, dang. Well, I believe in you, Patrick. I believe <laughs> in you. All right, unskilled first officer. CIS isn't good enough to win without Patriot Fist. Is this a hot take? Oh, geez. I mean. I don't have we have we seen them do have have like a large win without it yet. Yes. What list or where? Uh, I, I'm uh, sort of tri- curious. Tri- Mechanic. Triple, triple Muni at uh, St. Lawrence Open. Yeah. Triple. Oh, so there was. There was one. There's been oh, there one. Was a, I mean, I guess I, I I'd like to really dig into that, but there's also only been like one bail to win like a large <laughs> tournament so far. So I don't really want to pull on that thread too much. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Ye old glass houses. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, CIS isn't good enough to win without Patriots Fist. I think, I don't know, I think that's cold. I I, I think it's, you know, they, they, they've needed it. They've definitely needed it. The top list at Vassal World, or not Vassal World Cup, but... um. Oh, actually, yeah, the top CIS list at Vassal World yeah, Cup Best had, a, had Patriots Fist. Mm-hmm. The top list for Adepticon had um, Patriots Fist. I think I played the Grievous list at Adepticon. It also had Patriots Fist. I think, you know, it's, it's maybe, maybe it's a crutch, but it's certainly um, their most cost-efficient platform for getting dice at long range. Yeah. Yeah. The top uh, ITC... Uh, the 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 fleet that was in the winning ITC team uh, had a Patriots fist. I mean, that guy did really well with it. So, armchair, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know that it is. You know, I don't know that I'd call it a crutch necessarily. And I and I I I lean towards optimism that there are you know other really really strong combinations that are just waiting to be discovered. Um, you know, similar to to Nick's experience with Bale, right? So, but. You know, looking at looking at the data, and I was just pulling up all the all the entries in the in the worlds, and I'm like going down lists, like, oh, there's oh nope, it's got Patriot Fist, nope, that, nope, Patriot Fist, Patriot Fist. Um, you know, the the ones that perform well use Patriot Fist, and even ones that you know in in the hands of an unskilled player like myself, um, when I take Patriot Fist, I I tend to do pretty you know pretty okay with it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I I I don't think you need it to win, but it definitely, definitely, definitely helps. Keller, what do you think? I think this is a hot take actually, because uh, I think that CIS is perfectly capable of winning, particularly with some of the other admirals. Uh, uh, Grievous and TF are the ones that pop to mind uh, by taking, by centering their fleet around a Providence and not Patriot fist. Uh, I think the Patriot fist is one that we all reach for because we like the shiny dice that we can throw a whole bunch of at long range uh, without thinking about the downsides of Patriot fist Uh, and the downside of Patriot fist, uh, which we don't often, I don't often see people talking about is now you can't take a second shot. So, you know, you're, you know, we get, see people getting lazy flying their Patriot fist. They just pointed at it and, 
don't attempt in any way to get a, uh, a double arc or you, you see some people who will take advantage of the fact that you can't Patriot fist at close range. Um, and so I, I think that it is one of those things where, you know, I hesitate to call it a crutch, but I think that it's one of those things that it's so shiny and so much fun that people don't really think about, Oh, maybe this, there are other things that could work for me as well. Uh, but I do think that as we see some other admirals be, uh, besides Duke and uh, and Dooku starting to come into play um, more often, I do think that we're going to see fewer Patriot fists on the board. Yeah, this just this just motivates me to make a list that doesn't have it. So I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and actually, that's a good point you bring up about the you know if if you're going to take one shot at me and you're going to fly like a like a star destroyer, then you know, maybe it's a it's a tactical thing. Once people start exploiting that, the same way they started exploiting the the you know the the softer sides of the onager, then um, you know maybe the the title swing around. Um, Kalorn, for your hot take, brunch, brunch is the best meal. Period. This is like South Pole in the middle of winter, cold, like clearly brunch is the best meal. So what you have to talk about here is not about comparing brunch to other meals. It's about what do you order at brunch? And clearly if you want to order food at brunch, you're going to go and get corned beef hash with nice runny over easy eggs, hash browns and toast. And then you're going to mix all of the hash browns and the eggs and the corned beef hash together have this nice like goop that is just absolutely delicious that you spread over your toast and i literally cannot think of a better meal than brunch eating that you forgot the syrup that just makes it too sweet though i like it to be on the eggs right no nine fox what do you think man (laughs) killorn had to take a totally this is one of the more tame food takes we've had. And he just had to take it in a direction that I just, I cannot follow. Like I, <laughs> I just had to like drop as much napalm onto this take as I oh possibly could. Oh my God. Yes. Brunch is the S tier meal. I think we can all agree that that part of it is not a hot take. I think we will all agree on this. However, what you just said was 45 seconds of insane rambling and I can't, I, I can't right now. I can't do that. So it's, it's incredible. The audacity of this man. It was not insane rambling. It was delicious rambling. Like he should be proud. No, like, that is. Oh yes. no. Pod lucid voice for the win. No. <laughs> Pod lucid voice, Nick. <laughs> so what do you got armchair? What, what is your, your, brunch meal of choice well that that is not the question Kalorn. the question is whether or not brunch is the best meal and the answer is no it's not the best meal what what no no okay Di- we're revoking your co-host dinner. status what is dinner, dinner is-, is your best meal by oh far. why so much variety so much choice you get to enjoy it at the end of the day when you've relaxed it's not like like when i wake up and, and go to brunch it's like I'm thinking about what I'm going to be doing this today. I'm 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 thinking ahead, and then I got to choose between like all this breakfasty stuff. I usually just have a bowl of cereal in the morning anyway. 
know, evening time, I can sit down, I can have a beer or a glass of wine. They look at me funny when I have a beer at breakfast. But this is brunch. You can have mimosas. Like, there, there is no plan. I'm just going to drink, like, as much mimosa as I can. My, like, a lot of two hours. I don't know how, if you guys do mimosa or, like, brunch differently. But mine's like, you got, like, an hour to drink and eat as much as you can. Like, oh, I'm wow. not going to do anything for the rest <laughs> of the day. I'm just going to be sitting on like sitting through my sixth glass of mimosa yeah like Bru- brunch is a meal that is solely wow. for the weekend Bru- which means that <laughs> clearly it is the best meal because it's the weekend brunch either follows a bunch of bad decisions or is the beginning of a bunch of bad decisions <laughs> <laughs> i think that's what we just arrived at I, I i can't see it as the start or because after brunch like you should be so full and so drunk that you cannot do anything for the rest of the day you just sit and digest and just just don't think that hard for the rest of the day maybe that's the thing like i I was thinking of brunch as as something else not this like speed eating and drinking put as much in you in an hour as you can competition that sounds interesting a brunch done well a a brunch done well is definitely debilitating i will say that i mean i guess i'm curious how you guys do brunch in texas if you don't have that experience oh i'm I'm not from texas he's not from texas don't don't lump me in with these people well, most mostly brunch happens on Sunday mornings, and you can't serve alcohol on Sunday mornings. So, there, Texas, what? we're weird. Yeah, when I found out that you could buy alcohol at a Target up in Chicago, I, I my mind exploded. Like, so <laughs> I was like, "What do you mean you could just buy alcohol anywhere?" And everyone was like, "Yeah, you can do whatever." And I was like, "Dude, what?" So, what yeah, we do brunch differently. It's mostly like. about the food. But uh, one day I'm going to blow your mind about party stores in Michigan. Apparently, I bet. Wait, they have parties in Michigan. Wait, what? So a party store in Michigan <laughs> is the only place that can sell hard liquor. You can, buy wine, you can buy wine and uh, and uh, beer at the grocery store. But the only place you can buy hard liquor is at a party store in Michigan. Like and the same place you buy like streamers and stuff, right? No, no, party like hats? a party store. It, it is a, a the official Michigan euphemism for liquor store. Oh, wait, okay, it's a it's euphemism. Like, it's not like titled like it's not like the Halloween. No, no, it, like it, we it, are it Halloween says the places. No, no, it's not a it's not a Halloween place, but it is the like the Mitchell Street party store, and you go in there, and it's all alcohol, it's all it's all liquor. Oh yeah, that sounds like a party. It uh, is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, Michigan, we're, we're simple. We're similar here, except we, we, we don't have it in grocery stores. Uh, we have special stores, government stores, and we have, uh, they're called cold beer and wine stores. They can sell beer and wine. But if you want anything hard, you got to go to the government stores. Huh. There We're you going to get some, like some small amounts of like top shelf or mid shelf stuff from the cold beer and wine. But like, if you want to, there's something you're looking for, you go to the, go to the liquor store, the government liquor store. We're, we're, we're clearly having a cultural, uh, you know, Coming together, kumbaya. I, I learn something the, every podcast. week. Yeah, this is great. This is good. Well, Nick, I really want to thank you for coming on tonight. Uh, it was great having you. Uh, again, congratulations in both the Vassal World Cup and Worlds itself. And um, we look forward to, to seeing you again soon. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Fox, we have any uh, closing thoughts here? Uh, a, a little preview for next week, perhaps? Oh, well, we have finally gotten to the point where we can invite our resident jokester Xantos uh, Damon at Worlds so he will be on to discuss 
the problem with Patriot Fist and Separatist next week uh, as we dive deeper into some world stats. So I'm super stoked. And is he going to roast easy. us on the po- podcast? I like believe he, he us is. On the channel? I believe the entire episode will be a giant roast. So I don't know. It's going to be we'll so see. easy because he's just going to show up with the script already written and it's it's perfect. So <laughs> That's probably exactly. true. All right, guys. Uh, we've uh, hung on to you for an hour and a half. Uh, We'll see you next week. Fly safe. Thank you for listening to the Armada podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, keep up with the show on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter at Armada Podcast. Join us on Discord with the link in the show notes. Until next time.